You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay-Smith, and I hope wherever you are in the world and whatever you're doing, you're doing pretty bloody well. The bloke you're about to hear from, his name is Donnie Van Staven, and he is the bassist in long-running US power metal pioneers, Riot. They now go via the name Riot V, or is it Riot 5? They use a Roman numeral at the end of the Riot there. Anyway, they've got a brand new album out in 2018. It is called Armour of Light. It's fantastic stuff. Donnie's going to tell us all about it. Let's get to it. Here we go. Donnie, welcome to the show. Can you tell us about the new album, Armour of Light? Armour of Light. Uh, Armour of Light is pretty much, uh, I call it the, the finally the standalone record for Riot 5 moving on with the legacy because, you know, after Mark passed away, uh, you know, we mm-hmm. basically we were doing Immortal Soul, the last record with him, and he didn't really participate a lot because you know, he was quite ill and, um, Mike Flint ended up playing most, uh, all the guitar on that, all the leads and most of the rhythms. Mark played like three, unfortunately. So, uh, after his unfortunate passing in 2012, we came out with unleash the fire, you know, and that was kind of a tribute, you know, we, uh, we made it a thunder still meets fire down under. Um, and we had a couple of tributes to Mark with pictures of him, And this was like our tribute to him, you know, like, it's our send-off album, you know, and it was our last record for uh, the label at the time, SPV. So it was kind of like closing the that chapter, you know. Um, and so uh, after the tribute was done, which is a very important record for us because, you know, a lot of people were like, we're continuing on without Mark. So we had to make a statement, and the, and the record did very well. Mm-hmm. So closing that chapter, you know, gave us the uh, the power to move forward. So... In uh, our four-year hiatus, you know, we had a lot of business things to do. I started handling affairs for the band, and so I wanted to get a better label. And uh, I love SPV, but I figured we need to be on the label, you know, a heavy metal uh, label like Nuclear Blast, who's, you know, one of the most popular labels. I said, if I'm going to get this thing to move forward after everything we've been through, uh, we need to switch. So that, leading all the way up to Armor Alight, this was the record where it was kind of like, you know, it wasn't the tribute anymore. It was like, this is us. Yeah. This we're continuing. Um, and this is our era, the chapter five of Riot. And so um, we're very proud of it um, for that fact. Um, myself and Mike channeled our old writing styles um, from, you know, my Thundersteel privilege days to his, you know, his Inishmore uh, Nightbreaker, like Mike DeMeo era. So, we tried to make it a, a well-sounding riot record from, you know, our eras. Mike wrote in his style, and I wrote in my style, and um, you know, we actually recorded like over twenty songs, and we picked the best um, eleven. So uh, we we felt like these were the ones that would best represent the band at this point. Um, you know, a little bit of that fast aggressive style, a little bit of the yeah, still great. slow commercial style, and mm-hmm. then you know, you got Todd Michael Hall is just the icing on the cake. So. Uh, we hope people uh, it's well received because we put a lot of heart and soul to our, our first one uh, per se. <laughs> yeah, I can tell. And look, I've got, I've got to share this with you. I don't typically get into what is usually known as power metal style music, but I am really enjoying Armor of Light. You know, John sent me the promotional copy and I had it on. I, I put music on around my kids, okay, because when I'm entertaining them and just, you know, generally cavorting <laughs> around the house with them, mate. But I've had it on quite a bit. So I only got it. To what, two or three days ago or so, but um, I must have listened to it front to back five or six times 
yesterday, you know, when I had it in the car, you know, on the iPhone and you get into the car and the Bluetooth kicks in and it's on and then I leave it on when I'm getting out of the car and I'm coming inside and cooking dinner and all the rest of it. And the one thing that, that strikes me about it, mate, it sounds vital. It sounds fresh. It's fast. There's a lot of energy about it. Yeah, it's, um, you know, not bad for a bunch of old men trying to keep up with the Joneses. <laughs> we basically, you know, uh, we wanted to make an aggressive record because of the fact that we were changing labels. Um, it was us, you know, changing over, uh, changing of the guard, so to speak. You know, I was kind of ha- taking over from the yeah. years with Mark and moving forward. So, you know, once we got on a, a label like Nuclear Blast, I told the guys, I said, you know, they have a variety of music, but we should probably, you know, hit them hard and sound fresh. You know, let's mm. let's let's get out there with the, the rest of the bands. Let's make a record. But the one thing besides us being very powerful and aggressive, we never lose sight of a good song and a good melody. Um, we always like to write, you know, maybe a fast song, but it still has the, the memorable courses and sing along harmonies and and stuff like that. We take pride in a good structure of a song rather than just beat your head in, you know, with the music and the vocals. We like to yeah. uh, mm. let the music be aggressive and then let the vocals be real nice and pretty and, and so you could sing along. And then, you know, we tone it down a bit. You know, we, we get to some mid-tempo stuff. But um, Nuclear Blast at first, Marcus wanted to front load the record, he told us. He said, we're going to put the first three or four songs just double bass and just in your face. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> mm. if you want to do it like that, you know, we, we want to just make sure people know that we're not going overboard. We still have the, the rock and roll stylings as well. So mm-hmm. hopefully it comes comes across like that. Give it a listen two or three times. It'll grow on you. Yeah, it does. No, anybody out there that's listening, I can certainly agree with that. And look, you might have already touched on this point here, but I will ask the question because, you know, Riot have really an incredible history. And in my view, the band are as important to US heavy metal as Sabotage. So both bands are incredibly underrated and have endured the passing of an iconic guitarist. So do you think that Armour of Light will allow many younger and impressionable fans to get into you guys and discover what is a considerable back catalogue. So I'm talking about the young guys and girls out there that listen to deathcore and metalcore because I actually think it's got that potential <laughs> to cross over. Yeah, you know, and and that's so true because when we write like this, we think in terms of that too. And we we have a couple stories at some meet and greets when we we're doing festivals. We had very young kids, you know, must have been, you know, maybe even 18, hmm. 19 years old come up with the record. And we really love your new record. Do you have anything else? And we look at him and kind of smile. And I mean, obviously, you know, we're older gentlemen. So we're like, well, take a look at us. You know, it's like, (laughs) actually, you know, the history goes way back. You know, we have 16 records out and Rock City and all this. And so, you know, you have those people that are very new. Then you have some of the fans that go back as far as Thunderstill. You just have the power metal heads who um, go like, oh, you have records. And I say, yeah, well, the band was more straight ahead hard rock um all the way up until 1988 when me and mark decided to uh you know make a little bit heavier style thunder steel style yeah yeah we we wanted to do that so yeah so when we write this we we figure it can cross over um one thing we wanted to do and marcus knows when we first um negotiated with him to sign he had a vision and so did we we wanted to you know, we have the history, but we wanted to go get away from the stigma of being the old, the old band, you know, and, and put on certain things. We want to be able to cross over. And that's why we made a record like this to where we can 
uh, go out and not necessarily just play with, you know, the old school tours, but we could possibly jump on stage with, you know, Nightwish or Leaves Eyes or some of these, you know, newer bands, even like an arch enemy. We can cross over and reach the younger crowd because it's very aggressive. And I think they could relate to it. And a lot of the fans are new. When we when we play in concert, I look in the audience, you know, and there'll be, you know, the, the typical oldsters, but then there'll be a lot of young people, you know. So I think I think it it's uh it's it's making the point. Hopefully the record comes across like that too. They can hear it, you know. Hmm. I, I agree. think the youngins should like it. <laughs> Look, I think so too. I mean, I think it's it's a really important record for you guys because yeah, I, I'm a bit yeah. It looks, this is my opinion. I'm not a massive fan of nostalgia acts. I spoke to Biff Byford from Saxon last night, and they're they're like you guys, and that they're releasing incredibly vital material that deserves to cross over. You know, so have you got are there plans to say go on those you know those massive European tours that they've got Sweden rocks and the like. Yeah, we have some stuff coming up. Um, as a matter of fact, speaking of Saxon, you know, we're very good, very good friends with them, and um, we got inducted into this um, heavy metal Hall of Fame um, mm. back in January. Nice. And and Nigel was our guest with his manager Adam, and um, uh, we had talked about you know doing an old school tour like we did way back in the day with Riot and Saxon, talking about doing it again after they get through with the, the Judas Priest support. Mm. So that you know we have that, and then of course. You know, Joe Akeem and, and the Hammerfall guys who are very, very big Riot fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and they come from the Thundersteel school of Riot. Um, they're into that more power metal. Oh, totally. Yeah, uh, yeah they're doing something in uh, in late this year. And we're going to we're going to do a tour with them as well. And then one thing that we've got um, already being booked right now is a co-headline tour with uh, Primal Fear. It's another yeah, great power yeah, metal, great band. build. So, yeah. Primal Fear and Riot will be doing like a six-week tour of Europe um, in October. Um, but before that, the end of the year, we got you know, like I said, we have this you know Japan thing next week, filming it, and then um, we have three festivals in three consecutive weekends. We have like the first weekend is uh, what is it? That Headbangers uh, Open Air we headline. Okay. Then a week off. Then the next weekend we do that Vakken. And then after Vakken, oh, you're doing a it. week yeah. off. There you go, yeah. And then we do um, uh, the third festival is at Lindea Stel Rock in Spain. It's, a, it's another big one with Judas Priest on it. And so instead of going back and forth, we decided that we would have our agent, Jorg, from Dragon Productions, um, keep us over there. And so they're going to announce these dates um, probably within the next week or two. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to do a whole string. We'll be over there for a month. We're starting in like, uh, there'll be like I think Denmark, and then we do the festival. Then we do Scotland, Belgium. We do another festival. Then we do London, and uh, so he's going to keep us over there in between the festivals each week. We'll fill it in with three or four dates, so it'll be a full blown tour, and that'll be in July. So okay. that's kind of what we got going on right now. Wonderful, yeah. Okay, no worries. And look, let's let's have a look into your history with the band. Okay, so I understand that you spent time in Mark Reel's solo adding. So correct me if I'm wrong prior to joining Riot yep. in about 1984 or so. So what can you tell us about your early working relationship with Mark? I met, um, I actually met Mark early on in, um, before uh, I was friends with Mark when Guy Speranza was still in the band. That's how far I go back with him. Way back, what happened yeah. was um, I was in a, I was in a very heavy metal band. It was another Slayer. It was the Texas Slayer back in the day. We had two records. And yeah. I met Mark 
and uh, through a mutual friend. And Mark would want to keep his, you know, his guitar chops up when he was off the road with Riot. So he would play with my band Slayer. And we, from then on, uh, we, we had a relationship going. We started hanging out as friends, not just musicians. And then I would actually help him co-write songs for Born in America. And we would sit in the garage and we would write music. And so that when we started, when I started helping him write songs and arrange songs for, for uh, riot for some of their records, uh, he decided let's start writing music on our own. So we started writing music, not for riot, just for ourselves. And so then he said, well, we should get out and play with this stuff. So that's when we started working on his solo band, which, you know, ended up calling it Narita um, because we wanted, you know, a little bit of the riot flavor in it, but we wanted a cool name. And then we had Steve Cooper, who was sang with me in the Slayer. And of course it featured Dave McLean, who's now in machine head on the drums. Mm. Uh, and so, um, we released a demo and we shot for a record deal and, uh, we never really got a deal. And a lot of the songs that Narita wrote ended up on Thunderstill. And we took them with us. Narita played uh, Thunderstill, Fighterfall, Crimson Storm, you know, stuff like that. So that's when I first met Mark back in the late 70, early eighties. And, um, then, uh, Basically, when Mark uh, went back to Riot, when they were on hiatus, that he went back to the Born in America tour, the bass player, Kip Lemming, did not want to continue with the band anymore. So that's when mm -hmm. I got the phone call. And he said, hey, Kip's not coming aboard. I told the guys that I was, you know, you're in my solo band and you're a great songwriter and whatnot. And you want to come and join the band? And that's when I joined. And that was like right around 84. So I got to play with Sandy Slavin and Rhett Forster, and we did. Uh, you know, quite quite a few dates and uh, shopped the band. And then when everything started getting stagnant with that lineup, because, you know, bands like Maiden and Priest and the new wave of British heavy metal were coming out, Mark said, look, we got to keep up with the Joneses. We need to, like, put a little more gas on our music. So I started writing music and we started getting aggressive and Sandy and Rhett didn't see the vision. And so we headed back up east and that's when we started Thunderstill in uh, 1988. So that's mm. that's how it happened for me. So, you know what, my take on Mark Rielli is that in the fullness of time, now I'm actually talking as the decades advance and both you and I have possibly moved on to the next dimension, if you know what I'm saying, generations, yeah. generations are going to come to revere his guitar playing because it really is rather unique in that he is to Richie Blackmore what Vito Brada is to Van Halen. So did you, as a bass, because I'm a bassist as well, I'm a working musician, what was it like to look across the stage to see him shredding and ripping out so many of those tasty riffs in the vein of Thundersteel? It was awesome, you know. Anytime you get to play with a band that you're a fan of, you know, you get on stage and the excitement's there. You know, it's almost like that movie Rockstar with Mark Wahlberg, you know, where he gets to join the band, <laughs> his favorite band. That's how I was almost. You know, I, I had the early rock and roll records first, so I was a fan, and when I met Mark, I was starstruck i thought it was great one of my favorite bands and then yeah when i got in the band you know it was great actually getting to play swords and tequila with the band and you know some of the yeah, classics awesome, road yeah. racing and whatnot I was like holy cow i'm getting to play these songs with a real band and so it was really cool uh being able to see you know uh mark reality who was not only my friend but you know was my mentor because he he taught me the craft of writing a good song when he knew i was I was a young metal guy and writing a thousand riffs. He taught me how to like lay back and, you know, just let the song breathe and write melodies. You don't have to be this. So that's where a lot of my 
my writing skills came from. Like when I write stuff like Flight of the Warrior, it's aggressive, but then the course is very nice and it's it's pleasant to listen to. So, yeah. you know, Mark Mark was, you know, he was an inspiration to me. And I think I gave him a little bit, too, because when we started the Thunderstill, he became a different player. He went from the old school, like he was very, you know, his favorite guitar players were like Leslie Weston Mountain and Montrose. Yeah. And he liked the old schools. But then he started listening to Ingve and Judas Priest. And he started changing with the times and his skills were just like getting incredible. And he started playing, you know, all that stuff you hear on the Thunder Still On. He's just magical guitar player, um, mm. well-rounded. He could do the blues, the feel, but then he can shred when he needs to. So, um, yeah, it was awesome looking at his change and, and, and you know, seeing how he evolved into the player that he did. Um, yeah, you're he right just about, kept going. You're right about your influence, actually. Now you can definitely hear that massive. It's quite a leap, isn't it, onto the music that ended up on Thundersteel? Yeah, yeah. It was like, you know, it was, it's, Rias always had these transitional periods. That's kind of why I put the chapter five in there. I said, well, you know, they, they, with Guy Speranza, the first three was more like a, a heavy hard rock. And then when Red joined in the chapter two, it was like a southern hard rock. And then when Tony Moore joined, you know, of course, uh, with me, the Thunder still was the first power metal version. So everybody was kind of, I remember when Rhett joined the band and everybody was kind of freaked out about it. Going, what happened to Riot? You know, mm. they got, they're not like they used to be. They got this weird Atlanta, Georgia singer and it's not the same kind of voice. And then, uh, you know, and then we went to Thunder still. Then they said again, they said, Oh, what is going on on this power metal now? So they've, they've had different eras and when Mike DeMeo era started, that was like the chapter four because he was more like a rainbow. They did like a, a rainbow white snake kind of yeah, type of music. And then, yeah. and of course we came back in this, this fifth chapter, you know, it was my era. So I wanted to do the yeah, power cool. metal again. You know? So, uh, Mark used to tell me the longevity of a band is through good music. And I think he used to tell me, it doesn't matter who, you know, the players are, you know, as long as you have good music, people will listen to it. You know, when you start putting out, you know, crap, that's when, you know, you, you run into problems, but he's been putting out quality music, you know? So, um, so that's, uh, mm. that's basically, you know, I mean, uh, how the band's been able to move forward with different genres of music, you know what I mean? And yeah, it's, um, totally. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's just, uh, styles change and some people like it and some people don't, you know, fortunately a majority of the people are digging it. Yeah. <laughs> no, agreed. Agreed. Um, you know, you mentioned somebody in there, Rhett Forrester. So, on forums and uh, fan, you know, social media things, he's frequently cited as a favourite, okay. But he was known as a bit of a tearaway, wasn't he? I mean, this is just what I've read online, of course. So you were in the band for a little bit when he was the singer. Um, did you appear on any of the albums that he sang on? So there's Born in America and Restless Breed? He, uh, you know, Rhett Forrester was, uh, when I first joined the band, he was actually... Um, he was the singer, and then um, after uh, uh, after he stepped out for a little while, we got the the Harry Conklin fellow from Jag Panzer for a while, and then Rhett came back because Rhett was doing solo stuff with uh, you know the Jack Star stuff. Um, he did uh, Out of the Darkness, and then he did his solo records, Gone with the Wind, and mm-hmm. and. Uh, he had a couple other records, so he was busy doing that. But other than that, um, the, the solo stuff, his solo stuff and the record with Jack Starr, those were the, the two main records with Riot. He was playing in a band called um, Rochelle, and then he was playing a band called um, 
the Hitmen a while back, and they released demos and stuff, but they never he never released anything else. But I remember, as a matter of fact, this is how far I go back with Mark, previous to me joining the band, when Mark called me and said, hey, guy left the band, we're going to get a new guy. I remember Mike, uh, Mark playing me a cassette tape of Hard Lovin' Man with Rhett Forrester. He goes, here's who we're going to get. And when I heard Rhett's raspy voice, I said, you're crazy. I said, you're going to kill the band. No one's going to like this guy. It's too, it's too different. You know, and then, of course, you know, um, ended up, you know, people started liking that era of, uh, of the band. But for Rhett, you know, he was uh, he was from Atlanta, Georgia, and he just he had played with, you know, a couple rock bands locally. And then he did some solo records. But other than that, um, those were the only two records. And then he um, after he bounced, you know, he was doing some some playing and solo. I actually played some shows with him in the Rhett Forrester band. We'd play his solo stuff and some Riot stuff. And then and, um, um, I kept in touch with him a little bit. And then, of course, you know, I got the news that he had, he'd been shot, yeah. you know, and killed in Atlanta. You know, it was really terrible news. You know, we were, I think I was in Las Vegas playing on a tour and someone called me and told me the news and it was really horrible. But uh, he was a great man. He was, he was the rock and roll star on stage and off. I mean, he would, hmm. he looked the same way when he was off stage walking around. <laughs> He was a, he was a crazy rowdy rock and roller that guy. Yeah, cool. Yeah. He's he's awesome. So you worked with um let's talk about SA Slayer for a bit because it's quite an interesting story there. Look, I only I can only read what I find on the web of course and apparently did Kerry and um Jeff did they sue you guys or attempt to put a legal imposition in place where you couldn't actually continue with the band name? Well, there's yeah, there was a lot of it, it's it's pretty funny when the they always have this talk of there's a Slayer versus Slayer, and there's a record. No, what actually happened was um, back when we were kids, when we were younger, you know, we made a band, um, you know, called Slayer hmm. uh, in San Antonio, and it you know it had it featured Dave who was in Machine Head now, but he was in Sacred Reich as well. And then besides Steve Cooper, the singer that went on to sing in Mark's solo band, he passed away from diabetes complications several years ago mm-hmm. it featured ronnie jarzombek on guitar which is bobby's brother who ironically played with me and riot for years and yeah. understood his little brother so ronnie was in that band too and then the guitar player bob catlin you know got in an obscure industrial band called pig face with martin adkin so the, all the band members kind of like <laughs> went out to do some stuff it was kind of crazy but um when we did Slayer, we came out with an EP first on a Rainforest label, a Green World Distributing called Prepare to Die. And it was before the the L.A. Slayer. So we put it out. And then all of a sudden, we get like Metal Blade going, we're about to put out a band called Slayer. And we're like, okay, well, what do we do? So basically, it was chit-chat between the management. But the band really never gave a shit. You know, they were like, you know, hey, you got the name, we got the name, you know, whatever. We'll see what happens. But hmm. Contrary to what a lot of people advertise, it, there was never a versus because at the time of the concert, what happened was that Slayer from L.A. was coming to Texas to play some shows. So we thought it would be cool if we played with him and we called it Slayer and special guest Slayer. <laughs> and so that's what it was. So they came to town and we went on before him. You know, we let them headline and we played a theater in San Antonio. It was packed and we went on and played and then they came on and played and. It was two Slayers on the same stage. <laughs> and, you know, I remember talking to Dave Lombardo and Tom Araya and shaking yeah. hands, wishing them luck. And it was all good. We were all good, you know. And um, what ended up happening is we didn't really get a legal lawsuit 
in a lawsuit or a contest for the name. We simply ended up disbanding because that's when I joined Mark and did the Narita band. And eventually I went, eventually I went on to join the riot. So that's kind of what happened. We kind of just disbanded and Dave went West coast and played with, um, you know, um, uh, Ross Robinson, the producer now, and Neil Turbin from Anthrax in a band, which led him to Sacred Rite, which led him to Machine Head, which led me to Riot. So mm. it, it's basically we just disbanded, and so they just continued on with the name, and they got quite big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that they did. Yeah, they've only just announced. I think they're. I, I don't think it's a recording retirement. I could be wrong, but they're doing their farewell tour with Testament yeah, and doing Anthrax. Yeah, farewell tour. Yeah, I didn't think yeah, I'd see the day. So there you go. Well. You know, you got to hang up the uh, the uh, guitar strap eventually, haven't you? I think Tom's had enough from what I've read. He, um, it's hard. I tried to hang up the guitar strap, and then here I am in my mid fifties, and I put it back on. <laughs> it's in your blood. You can't get away from it, can you? Even I know that with the work that I do, it's you can't get away. From it. I have I have children. I even have a grandson now. You know, I'm a grandpa, oh, heavy metal you. grandpa, and I'm out there. <laughs> Still playing heavy metal, you know the pa- Still not making a comfortable living at it, but man, I'm having a great time and meeting great people and seeing cool places. So, yeah. you know, it's the passion, I guess. Yeah, great perspective. And and I will ask you this question: What is the biggest challenge that you've overcome in your career? Because you've done you've done a lot. Well, you know, it, it hasn't been easy. Like I said, you know, in this type of music, you know, especially nowadays, where the mainstream in America, at least over here. Um, you know, there's not really a big place for bands like us, like it used to be back in the day. Um, you know, we're saturated with a lot of the, the younger musicians, the younger music. Mm. And, um, you know, so, you know, right now the challenge is really, you know, trying to break your band in America. You know, you have the, the mainstream metal bands like the Metallicas and the, and the bands that can do that, even like Avenged Sevenfold or Megadeth or some of the bands like that, you know, they they can continue on and do stuff like that. But for bands like us, you know, um, it's, you know, it hurts us. It's hard. You know, our biggest markets are in Europe. We always have to travel because Europe's always still kept the metal flame burning. You know what I mean? We can go over there and still pack it in, play the festivals, you know? And so it's a bit, you know, it's a bit different. So, um, I'm having more of a challenge now trying to, you know, do the rebirth of the band since it's from the air, trying to like breathe new life into it. That's why I'm trying to, you know, get on the new label, do fresher music, you know, get back out there and try to get back up where the band used to be, get back in the metal mainstream. It's a little bit harder over here. Um, you know, but as a whole, you know, it's, it's never been easy in this kind of music. Um, it's a little easier, um, uh, back in the day, but now, you just kind of put it out there and, you know, you, you throw it out there and see what sticks. And, um, you know, the, you know, like I said, I've never really made lots of money living on it. It's basically just something that I, you know, that we've been doing and we're mm. trying to, to make the best of it. And we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, but, um, right now, you know, surprising to us all 2018 has been going great for the band with, the induction of the Hall of Fame, 30th anniversary of Thunder still, and of course the signing of Nuclear Blast. So things are looking up. So I, I can't complain at this point, you know. Mm. <laughs> yep. we'll, we'll see. Hey, something I've always wondered is what's the band's mascot? It's, um, you know, the, the white furry <laughs> animal. Sorry, I've got to ask. I've always been intrigued by it. Yeah, it, that's one of the most asked questions too, believe it or not. Um, mm. He he is in a uh, – actually, he came uh, – 
all the way back to Rock City, the first record. It was actually the producer, Steve Loeb's brother-in-law. Sister was married to this abstract artist. And at the time, he made this creature. It's, a, it's actually a seal. It's a it's a baby snow snow seal, like a harp seal. There you go. Okay. And uh, at first, at first, he it was like kind of a folklore kind of thing where it's like the, the body of a warrior, ninja, or sumo wrestler strength and like the softness of a seal head. And he was getting back at you know humanity for clubbing the seals, and he was going to get you back. So it it turned into that, and then they decided to use it on each record. They used it on Narita, and then they started using Fire Down Under. So he became the iconic, you know, figure mascot for Riot. They thought it was cool. You know, a lot of people think it's quirky, and it kind of is. They're like, what is this thing? You know, it's the band with the worst album covers, but the best music, because what is this creature? And it's just kind of stuck with us, whether you like him or not. He, you know, he's very identifiable with the band. And, you know, he's got a bunch of different names. They they started calling him the early management, the Mighty Tior, kind of a play on the, the word Riot. Yes. And then, that, you know, a lot of people, the newer people, since I've been writing a lot of songs about a Johnny character, they started calling him Johnny the Seal or Johnny the Mighty Tior. Hmm. So he's got both names, and that's why we continue to use him with the Riot 5. But I wanted to make him more vicious instead of so weird and cute. I said, look, make the make the mascot vicious and more aggressive like our music. So that's why when you see the Riot 5, us continuing on with the music like that, that's why the warrior is very muscular now with an axe and he's got a hmm. very ferocious silf face. So we, we continue on. So people identify us with that, that there's that crazy creature, you know, on their album cover. So we can call him Johnny, the mighty Tior. <laughs> well, my, my kids love the cover of fire down under. I'll give you that. <laughs> you know, they probably use it as a mask, right? You can cut it out and put a rubber band on it and use it as a mask for Halloween. <laughs> well, I've been, I've been looking to that, to that point of tea. I've been looking for the vinyl version of it actually. Um, I want to get the 180 gram copy though because I like the way it sounds. Um, but yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, kids just go for whatever's on the album cover, right? And um, your album cover, yeah, it's right up their alley. Let me tell you, you know. So yeah. But um, hey, final question for you is uh, Australia. Now we're not the biggest metal market, you know that. And um, I assume you've had some correspondence, some com- some communication from fans over the years. So what's what's the Australian market been like for you guys? Well, it's been, you know, unfortunately, we've never been over there. Um, we've had a couple opportunities um, when we go over to Asia and stuff like that. They've talked to us about it. Um, and we have a fellow that works with us in Graham Bonnet, um, Sky Giles, who's from New Zealand. Mm. So he says, you have to get over there. There's, there's, you know, there's a lot of fans over there. And we get a lot of correspondence and people wonder if we ever get over there. And um, we've gotten positive, you know, a lot of positivity from going, you know, for bands to go over there. And I think it would be really cool if we went over there this year because, um, you know, we have, you know, the, the new record and we've never been there. So it'd be the first time going over, over there. So we'd have to cover a lot of ground in the set. Um, you know, we've talked to people about going over, but the, the reactions have been really good. I mean, we do have quite a bit of people on our social pages that really dig the band and always ask, when are y'all coming over here? So I actually, when I was talking to John, when he was setting up these interviews for me, hmm. um, the division over there, I said, you know what? We need to get over there. I said, I'll do the interviews. I said, but, you know, uh, talk to Jorg and talk to Marcus and let's let's get someone over there and uh, let's get the band over there and do a full-blown tour. And like, we should. We haven't touched that market. We need to get over. And they agreed. And they said, there's a, a chain of clubs over there where you can play them, you know. And so yeah, that's right. they're, look, yep. they're looking at 
we're looking into it. So hopefully we'll be there some place we really want to go to, you know, so that would be great. Well, fingers crossed. And have you ever been here on vacation or anything? Uh, no, I've never been there. Um, my brother, you know, like I said, the drummer from Machine and me and Dave, but way back were like stepbrothers. His, uh, when they went over there, he met his wife. And so he's over there quite a bit and just sends pictures to me and says it's incredible. You know, he was over there before they started their last tour and he said, it's very beautiful. You got to get over there. So we're trying. Believe me, we want to go over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I certainly hope to good. see you too, mate. So. Yeah, look, that's it from me. I really appreciate you having the chat and shedding so much light and chapters of the band's history too, mate. And congratulations on this last album. I mean, it's... I really hope it gets out there and does what it, it should be able to do for you guys. You know, it's... um, You know, Riot have always been criminally underrated, as I said when I made that comment about yourselves and Sabotage. But this album here is something else. You know, for a bloke like me who listens typically to a lot of disco funk and you know i've gotten to everything jazz um but i've been listening to a, a jazz drummer from new york called dan weiss i don't know whether you've heard of him but i've had your armor of light on and dan weiss's um 16 is his album uh in between each other so i've gone from your music to this avant-garde jazz thing but you know what it works so what can yeah I say? we yeah we i mean we're the same way we we play you know metal that we've been doing it forever and we do it for the fans, but you know, we, you know, we'll, we listen to all types of music over here. You know, Todd released a record that's just totally obscure ethnic music from India. And then Mike plays in a BG tribute band and we all listen to like oldies and Motown. So, hmm. you know, we've, uh, you know, that's, uh, you know, we just enjoy good music. That's the bottom line. Like you said, you could put on a record like that and, you know, we could put on a record like this, but you know, like I said, good music is good music, man. So you just you just enjoy a good song, you know. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Well, congratulations again, mate, and thank you so much for your time. Thank you, man. Have a great morning. Have some more coffee, man. We'll see you soon. <laughs> we'll do. <laughs> Cheers, mate. No All right. See you later, mate. You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast. My name is Andrew Mackay Smith, and that was my conversation with the bass player from Riot or Riot V, is it? Or Riot Five, even. Anyway, you know who I was talking to, and you know the band I was talking about. Donny Van Staven is the bloke's name. Really hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thank you for listening.